I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Hello and welcome back to the 100th episode of Uncover Your Magic. Saying 100 means more to me than just 100 straight weeks of putting an episode out into the universe. It means I stuck to something for 100 weeks and never missed a one week. It means I met 97 new amazing people and now have 97 new friends. The first three episodes were solos, just in case you were wondering why I said 97. It means I have grown more than I could have ever imagined learning from my amazing guests. It has made me realize that when I push past my fears, anything is possible. That day I said, I am going to do a podcast (laughs) was a message from my higher self, God, my intuition, that still small voice inside my head. Wherever it came from, I had no idea how much it was going to change the trajectory of my life in the most beautiful way. I have learned I am even more passionate about learning about people's lives and is what wakes me up in the morning. It also means I have created programs that were ignited through inspired thoughts that came to me because I believed that if I can start a podcast, I can create programs for teenagers and adults that will change their lives. These past 100 weeks, my spiritual growth has grown exponentially. My beliefs of who I am today versus 100 weeks ago is seriously night and day. I have changed hundreds of teenagers and adults' lives with my Raising Confidence and the Magic Path courses. Who would have thought all of these gifts I have received in the last 100 weeks would have happened from listening to that voice inside my head that said, start a podcast. If this can be a story you listen to that will inspire you to say yes more and say what if less, then the past 100 weeks will be even more magical and have even more meaning to me. Being consistent in every area of your life brings magic. Once I pushed past my fear and kept picking up the breadcrumbs and trusting and surrendering, as you know, are my two favorite words, then my life took on an entirely new meaning and I became so fulfilled and my vibration rose because I was living my passion. To think if I didn't say yes, I would have never known that having a podcast would light me up and inspire me to teach teenagers mindset tools so they can live an inspired life. I now know after pushing past all that fear, what I am meant to do on this earth at this moment in time. There is so much about the meaning of these 100 episodes. Each guest has a story to me and a lesson I learned that has contributed to the person I am today. 
I am beyond grateful for each and every one of you for listening and always reaching out to me and to tell me how each guest has touched your lives. In this episode, I decided to share the top five guests that really made an impact in my life in some way or another. There are so many more, but I decided to cut the list to five for my 100th episode. I chose these five because they were either the bucket list guest, and I couldn't believe they said yes, or they have made such a difference in my life and the way I live my life today. So let's get started. My first guest is Suzanne Geisman, back at episode number 66. I followed her for the past few years, and she was absolutely someone that has changed my life in so many ways. She made me view death in a new way, and her story and her gifts are so beautiful to me. I will always look at Suzanne as one of my biggest teachers. Her stories are so real, and her way of giving people hope of the afterlife is unlike any other medium out there. She is the real deal. So please enjoy this magical conversation with the Suzanne Geisman. When I was in the military, I, I had the honor of being a commanding officer. I was special assistant to the chief of naval operations. That's the head of the Navy. And then ultimately asked by the head of the whole United States military, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, to be his aide de camp. And that's his right-hand man, you know, <laughs> and uh, funny. travels everywhere with him and, and helps him. And I was with the chairman on 9-11 I witnessed a lot of destruction up close and personal, a lot of death, and just decided it's time to get out of the Navy and live my dream. And then my husband and I shared the dream of going sailing away in our sailboat and living that lifestyle. And that's what we were doing when I realized you can't run away from death. You can't run away from life. And life caught up to us with a phone call that changed our life. And that was that my stepdaughter, Susan, a sergeant in the Marine Corps, we were so proud of her, had been crossing the flight line at her squadron on a beautiful morning. And out of the blue, skies darkened and a bolt of lightning struck her down. And she was killed along with her six-month-old unborn baby. And... uh, So I really started paying attention then and asking those deep life questions and found so much more than I ever imagined I would. Oh, but you know, when you think of going there and learning it, but learning that she had passed and having to go back and adjust your mind to knowing that she's gone, but you're like determined through meditation to connect with her or try you or you saw her in the casket and you're like no that is not her yeah and and I I know that almost everybody listening or watching has had that moment where you see somebody you love and they're now not in the body anymore and I say it that way because that's what you realize that a lifeless body is exactly that it's without life and then you start to say so what is it that gives a body life because the difference the contrast between a body with spirit in it is so different. And looking at Susan there, I just knew she had to still exist in some form. And I, I made it my mission to, to find her. And I found her and so much more. So will you tell us that story when you went well, to that I woman? My, I began meditating, like you said, and that's what's changed my life. That's what's transformed my whole worldview, my belief system, my connection with greater reality. But uh, 
before I connected with Susan myself, I dragged my husband to a medium. He went kind of willingly, but he told me later, he didn't even know what a medium was. He just did that wonderful husband thing and said, yes, dear, (laughs) whatever you want, honey. And, you know, now he's married to a medium. That's the funny thing. But that medium was the real deal. And I say it that way because there are people that, even people who call themselves mediums, I'm not sure that they're actually always tapping into the spirit of our loved ones unless I get the evidence because the mind, our conditioned minds and our stories can run off and tell stories. That is a fact. And through evidence-based mediumship, we are left with no doubt that we're connecting with our loved ones. And that's what happened when we, when we went to this medium happily, she gave us incredible evidence, undeniable evidence that Susan was right there in the room. She didn't have our last name. She couldn't have looked us up. You know, the skeptic in me covered all the bases and she so rocked our world that I just had to know more. And I dove in head first and here, here I am. Right. Did Ty feel the same way as you or did it take him more? He was so convinced. He was sobbing, but obviously it's not his life calling to then become a medium. It was mine. And that's why I went on to write books. And then I didn't know at the time writing the books would result in me discovering that I could do this. It wasn't the fact that I wrote the books. It was the people I met while writing the books and the meditative practice that helped me to reveal this ability that's latent in all of us. So if it's your calling, it will come very clearly. If it's not, you may be able to have some really great connections with your own loved ones. The, The thing is, we never know until we try. So I love sharing the tools and techniques with people because it's a natural ability because we're all souls. When I'm listening to you on your recordings or an interview, when you're on like doing question and answer, Yes. You will answer with your spirit. You don't have to get into like a, when you channel Sanaya, that's different, yes, right? That's right. Okay. So you do go into a process to get her. Will you explain that? Yes. My guides call themselves Sanaya. It's a collective consciousness, but it's a group of higher beings. When I channeled them, that was something unexpected as well. And there are quite a few videos and two very recent ones on my YouTube channel of me channeling. And anybody that watches that, especially when people ask questions at the end, you can tell this is not prepared. It's not scripted. It's not me. And that we're connecting to something higher. That requires a deeper state of expanded awareness, theta brainwave state. But I can go into that very quickly. And... In those Q&A sessions you referred to, I sit and clear my mind and my energy field before those sessions. I check in with my team. Are we going to work together? Are you ready to go? And then I talk like we're doing now. And I did that before this interview. So if you were to ask me a tricky question or something I didn't know, it's just a little shift just like that. And I tune in and the answer comes from a higher place, which is always optimal. Okay. So let me get this understanding. So I'm really working on this (laughs) and that's probably why you were led. I was led to you. You're my teacher. You've been my, the last two years, I've really been following you and trying to understand listening to that voice and just trusting it and knowing that it is that voice. Right. Right. And how, and what amazes me about you is that it's so quick. Well, that's because people think that Tiger Woods has always been this great golfer, right? But they didn't see the years and years of preparation that went into that. 
I was not able to have this instant access years okay. ago. It's been a dozen years of attuning to them, clearing out the gunk in me, my human nature. This is what the path is all about. And that's what I teach people. You take a class with me. It's not going to instantly result in what I can do, but I give you the tools. Then you take it as far as you want from right. there. There is no limit to how, how clear our access can be. And I, and I know what it takes to get there. So it's my greatest honor to share that with people. Uh, I want you to share the story about Wolf when you put up. I just love that story. And everyone listen to this story. (laughs) Yes, I have a book called Wolf's Message because this young man whose nickname was Wolf passed to the other side the same way as my stepdaughter struck by lightning. It was only years later, Ashley, that I learned that Susan, my stepdaughter, knew just as much as Wolf did that they were going to pass that way because Susan's last three dogs were all named after gods of lightning. Mm. Stunning. But Wolf's awareness at a soul level that he was going to pass that way came in a much more immediate and stunning uh, validation in a poem that he wrote the day before he was struck and killed by lightning. And it stated words that showed, I know my soul is going to be freed by a light. And he drew the exact location where he was struck down. And he drew in that drawing what his parents would put there afterwards. I mean, I don't want to give away the whole, the biggest wow in the book, but he then came to me after I met his parents at a conference. He dropped in on me in the early morning hours of the day before I gave them a reading and gave me so much verifiable information about himself that I knew this was him. This was ultimately scored by a professor at the University of Arizona, Dr. Gary Schwartz, who does afterlife research. And he said, there's no doubt in, in his mind or anybody who looks at that evidence that this was spirit communication. And ultimately why Wolf came through me was to share a message. And that's why the book's called Wolf's Message with all of us about how we as a species, humanity are out of balance and how to get back in balance. And you said that I've gone from as far left as you can go to the other side, but that's not really true. I have found the balance point between the left brain logical side and the right brain intuitive side. When we can do that, then we can live in this world beautifully and magically mm-hmm. and yet connect just as beautifully with the greater reality, integrating the two for a life that's so filled with joy and peace that I never could have imagined it. And it's my greatest goal for other people to find that kind of life. We're all energy. We're a vibration. That's so important. And being in a high vibration as a human is so important, right? Yeah. But we explain, because this is heaven. We're in a human body. Only a little part of our soul is in this body, right? I love teaching with analogies and metaphors because it helps us wrap our head around this. And yet it still doesn't really explain what's going on. But if consciousness is like an ocean, we in a body are like this little ice test tube, this test tube made of ice. So it's made of the same material, water, but it it does not allow the water to flow through what's inside that test tube. The test tube is like the body. Our body is the filter, filtering out the consciousness that we are made of, 
from which we arise. And yet we have these little portals throughout our body, seven of them in most belief systems called chakras, the exchange points. And that would be where the ocean flows through our vessel, but they get blocked up. Most human beings, at least the first three are a little gunked up. Those are fear, safety, security issues. And so when we work on clearing out the human stuff, we then allow more of that greater sea of consciousness to flow into our awareness. But we are part of that sea. That's why I say it's made of ice, because ultimately the body returns to dust or the test tube dissolves back into the ocean and our consciousness still exists as a pattern of sensations, thoughts, and feelings known as you and me. And that's what a medium tunes into within the same shared sea of consciousness, but now without the filter, much more obvious to us, it's all right here. So when my, when I pass on, my dad will recognize me my and vice versa. And I will recognize him as a vibration. No, face to face, you will recreate in awareness, consciousness, which is your fundamental nature. I recognize you. You can recreate when you first cross the veil, you're still going to be very much feeling human and, and having that energy, even without the body. And so your dad will appear to you. So you recognize them. And as you, you say, okay, I get it now. I know what's going on here. We don't have to create these bodies. We don't need any of those trappings anymore. Then you can just be the beings of light that we all are right now. Okay. And now when you find people that are playing golf or reading or, you know, the story that you connected the Wayne Dyer, I'm a, I mean, Wayne Dyer is so true to my heart. He's another big teacher of mine, yes. but that he even sat with you when he was alive. Yeah. He came, came to my house for a reading. That was phenomenal. How that manifested. Oh my yeah. gosh. But tell that story when he came to you, when you were well, in the RV. He, no, that was in my house. And oh, when I lived okay. in Florida, this was back when I thought the law of attraction simply meant if I state something and affirm it positively long enough, it'll happen. Now I know that if it serves the greater good, it will happen. So we limit ourselves by focusing on one thing. But if that one thing will help, then the universe will bend over backwards in a metaphor to help you. So I was already a Hay House author. I had published the book, uh, The Priest and the Medium, not about me and my husband, about another medium. This was before I even knew I would be a medium one day. And I thought, well, I manifested that being a Hay House author. And Wayne Dyer is my favorite Hay House author. So what are we going to manifest next? Well, how about I'm on a first name basis with Wayne Dyer, knowing Mm -hmm. that if that were true, he might be able to help me get the messages of hope to more people, what we're sharing today. And It just fell into place so magically. It turns out that his brother lived in the same community I did. I didn't know that. A friend of mine ran into Wayne Dyer having dinner with his brother at the next table. She was such a Wayne Dyer fan. She went up to him and invited his sister-in-law to a meditation group that they were in. (laughs) I ended up doing a workshop. Both ladies came to the workshop and I just said, oh my God, Wayne Dyer's sister-in-law is here. Let me just tell her what I say every morning that I'm on a first name basis with Wayne Dyer. That's all I said. A few months later, trusting the universe, I continued to say that. I didn't call her, didn't ask her to introduce us. I was just hanging around the house and she called me and she said, Suzanne, uh, Wayne's coming to visit. Do you think you might want to do a reading for him? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was one of those moments where you say, 
you think? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Are you sure? Then he gave me this beautiful endorsement for my work because I spontaneously channeled the guides with messages for him. It was a reading above and beyond what my readings normally are. So I know that spirit really had a hand in that. And he has gave me beautiful quotes for both messages of hope and Wolf's message. And we were on such a first name basis that I had his private email. And um, after he passed, he dropped in on me in his voice. Not normally when I connect with spirits in a reading, it sounds like other people's loved ones. I mean, it sounds like my own thoughts. Sorry. sounds like my own thoughts because that, that takes a lot of energy to recreate a voice. But once you've met somebody, as I met him and had talked with him, it was very easy for him to create his voice for me. And the first thing I said was, wow, you know, I've been on the road. I don't know how you died. That's evidential. Tell me what happened. And he said, infarct, which is a, an acute heart attack. And that is what happened. I said, tell me some more things I don't know. And he showed me he was at home in a high rise and several other things. And I went online later and Googled him and I was disappointed because his home in Maui was this one story house. And I reached out to his sister-in-law to share his messages. And she said, oh, Suzanne, his house was under renovation. He was living up in a high rise while it was being renovated. So lots of good stuff. But he told me he was sitting at the feet of the masters wearing robes and just enjoying the sharing. And he said, I got most of it right, but not everything, which is what my goal is to get most of it right. I know because of these filters, we probably get some things wrong. And so that's why I'm constantly aiming for greater clarity. Right. When you talk about they're up there playing golf or doing things like Wayne sitting at what he loved to do here, we continue to do like, are we traveling to Italy? (laughs) Let me explain that because that sounds absolutely ridiculous to somebody who's new here. What do you mean we're playing golf in heaven? And my left brain side says, yeah, why would we do that? Because at first when you cross, you are still very much connected to your earthly story and anything you didn't get to complete with consciousness, you create it instantly. So if you were really into golf or baking or traveling, you just do it. It's like lucid dreaming. Hmm. You're very aware and you create. And I use the golfing example because I was doing a reading for a woman and her husband across the veil came through very clearly with beautiful evidence. So when she said, can you ask him what he's doing? This is one of those moments where I know I won't be able to prove whatever he says. So how can that be evidential? And his answer was amazingly evidential, which is so beautiful because I said to him, all right, what are you doing over there? Which is really not over there. It's just the different dimension. And he said, I'm playing golf every day, standing firmly on two feet. Well, It turns out golf was his passion, which I didn't know. But even more evidential is that before he passed, he'd had one of his legs amputated and was unable to golf. Wow. So you cross to the other side, suddenly you don't have a body anymore, but you have a spirit body. And just by wanting to move from here to there, you do so. You want to put a golf club in your hands and golf and stand on two spirit feet? You can do it. Until it's like, okay, been there, done that. What's next? And what's next, this is important, maybe to go back and live another life. So a lot of people hear that and say, oh, no. So you might say, Ashley, well, does that mean my dad won't be there if I don't cross for another 50 years, right? Not at all. 
because we are all arising from this sea of consciousness. It's not all or nothing that one's loved one becomes then an entirely new soul. That consciousness that is us is a part of this greater sea and can arise as needed even if it hasn't done anything for a while. It's like we're sleeping and, oh, here comes my daughter. She's crossed the veil. Let's go visit her. Even though another aspect of the greater soul from which your dad arose, a subset of the one mind is off having another experience in a body. Right. Perhaps as your grandchild in the future. Who knows? My second guest I chose is Belinda Womack from episode number 92. Belinda was one of those guests that I put on my dream list after reading her book, Lessons from the 12 Archangels, and sending it to all of my friends and family for Christmas this year. It truly changed my life. Once she said yes, I couldn't believe I was going to be able to talk and ask questions to Belinda, but also have her channel the Archangels for me in that episode. She is one gifted woman with such a loving heart. She taught me so much about love and our archangels and the power they have when we can tap into them. My entire relationship with my archangels and spirit guides has all transformed after meeting Belinda. It's amazing once you realize how close you are to your angels and they are just there waiting to be asked to help you. It changes your life. Here is a portion of our episode that I feel was some of the most magical parts of our conversation. Enjoy. I know when you were a child, you were tapped into this and these angels and the spirit world, but you closed it off and really focused on your studies. You got your degrees in science, your master's degrees, and really went that route. And why? And I also think for people to understand when when you do listen to that voice and how it happened. So could you just take me to where you feel is relevant to what I would love to share? Well, Ashley, my dear, you are asking me to, to definitely go back in time. So what I can share about my childhood experience just very quickly is that, you know, I, I always had a very open what we would call creative imagination. And then once I got drafted by the angels, I learned that as a child, I was open to the angelic realms and definitely plugged in to heaven and all of the helpers because I needed that help in my childhood. Some people need that help. Some people don't need that help, but definitely in in the craziness that I grew up in, I really needed all of spirit's help. And so, yes, I shut that door down. So the easiest way to explain that is that, you know, in our fabulous human brains, we have a feminine, intuitive, creative side of our brain, and we have a masculine, logical, rational, ego side of our brain. And in order to survive, I had to shut down partially my creative, intuitive, uber-sensitive, feminine part of my brain. And so I decided to become, at the age of 12, I was going to become an environmental scientist. And that's what I did. And um, then I got two degrees, one in microbiology and one in environmental science, two masters. And I decided 
that, you know, I, I started to work in pediatric oncology. So the environmental science part of me is still very much alive. And I'll get to that in a minute. So I am now a biologist. I'm working in pediatric oncology, so very left brain. And at this point in my life, I have, this is 30 years ago, I had a visit from Archangel Gabriel while I was doing a stem cell experiment. And I was taken out of the laboratory. You know, this is a vision, but it was so visceral, so real and alive that anyway, I was taken into another dimension and because I could feel the dirt under my feet, you know, Mm -hmm. so it was that and smell the air and it was that real. And Gabriel said to me telepathically, Belinda, we have new work for you to do. And I said, Gabriel, I'm a scientist. I'm not supposed to believe in angels, but I do. I always have. And so anyway, we had this conversation and Gabriel said, we need your help. You know, humanity has forgotten that they're God's divine children. They've forgotten. And I said, well, what do you need me to learn? And Ashley, you may know that I've had to tell this story a few times. (laughs) And, And so the angels the one angel at this time, Gabriel said, well, we just need you to learn what's in the book to your left. But the book to my left was huge. It was at least, I don't know, the book was open. So it was like four feet open and a foot deep. And But out of the book came in red scarlet fire letters, the word love. I was like, oh, I believe I could learn what love is. You know, I that sounds... You know, that got me. You use the word love. And, and so Gabriel said, okay, well, that's what we need you to learn. And then I was back in the lab, back holding my sample. No time had gone by when I looked at my watch. I thought I was gone for at least a day. Mm. And that's how it all began. And so Gabriel was the first angel I met. The second angel was Archangel Michael. And, um, that was a little bit scary because my room filled with countless numbers of blue eyes in blue eyes that were in wings, but I didn't see the wings at first. All I saw were millions of blue eyes looking at me. Huh. And then I got the message, I'm Michael. <laughs> so... Then I met the rest of the team and and um, they are loving and wonderful beings that teach us what we were made out of and where we come from and what schoolroom earth is all about. And they teach us that magic is really divine love, that if we use it as a power, as a creative power, we can definitely change our own reality and help change the global reality for the greater good of all concern. Why do you think you are the one that can do this? Well, my dear, I totally believe that we can all do this. I want to make that absolutely clear. Why Belinda is a messenger for the 12 archangels, I have no idea. All I can tell you is that I surrendered 
and I'm very childlike, even though I'm 60, you know, and so I believe that in order to be a clear channel for spirit, you really do need to be a child. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's all over the Bible. Not that I'm a a Bible scholar at all, but it does say God hid, hid these things from the wise and learned, but revealed them to little children. Right. So I just feel that that innocence, and you know all about the innocence of children, right. and the openness and the heart. And so I do, I have to say, I really do love to love and be love. And my intention is to be a flowing fountain of love. So, but we can all communicate with the 12 archangels, and we all do. It's just that sadly, or You know, I trust that it's all in divine order. The masses of humanity don't realize that we all come from source and divine oneness and that angels are everywhere. Mm -hmm. And they are really trying to wake us up and help us at every opportunity that they can possibly help us. Will you explain the number 12 and why there's 12 archangels and the difference between the archangels and your spirit guides, your oversoul, all those words that people, I think, sometimes mix up. And I'm getting more clarity from learning and reading your book. But I think people get that kind of don't understand the differences in those. So there are 12 archangels because the number is symbolic. The number actually means evolution. So they help us to awaken and move up the spiral of consciousness, right? Our DNA is a spiral. Energy moves in a spiral. So it just means to evolve, to awaken. If you look at the number 12, there are 12 months to the year. Um, There are 12 hours on clock phase. So it's all about moving and going through cycles. And so, you know, 12, and I'm not a history person either, but 12 throughout history and certainly spirituality is, you know, it's an important number because it does when you understand, when you love numbers, you know, just that number 12 can help you even just to say 12, right? You'll feel a boost in your energy as it, as it lifts you up. And so I just want to say that are there 12 individual archangels? Yes and no. There's far beyond 12. There's actually an infinite number because the archangels work with sound and music. So when you need more help, it's just cranking up the volume. So if people ask the question, well, how can Archangel Michael, he's quite the celebrity angel, and he's very much about truth and justice and helping us to find our highest will, making decisions from our hearts. You know, how can he be everybody's guardian angel? Well, that is because when you go all the way back to source, all there is is infinite potential and infinite evolution. So what is the oversoul and the soul? The soul is truly our divine self that holds us in love. And the oversoul is just that part of our soul that connects us back to the central sun or to divine oneness. All of these terms really were 
designed to help our human ego, which is the size of a green pea, a green garden pea, (laughs) to understand, right? So the ego is very small and we can't see very much at all. The soul is very huge and it comes from an even bigger source. And we think of that as our oversoul, the part of us that always stays in heaven. And that oversoul comes back to the central soul, which is the heart of a creator or the great universe. But ultimately, it's all about oneness. It's all about energy. And the energy has the vibration when we really want it to work for us. We work with energy at the vibration of undiluted pure love. And that's where the angels, that's what they use to help us. That's what we are created out of. What's important to understand is that thought is energy. And even if it's the darkest, darkest thought has become the darkest, darkest nightmare of fear, love transforms it instantly. Because love is the greatest transforming power. So when you are communicating with your daughter and you are doing that telepathically, that telepathic communication is a way that we still communicate today. We don't, we don't actually need the internet, even though we're very attached to our devices and our Zoom calls. All of this is just because we've gotten a little bit trapped in the density of fear, a little bit more into the um, separation and the illusion of that. But truly, we're all telepathic. And so to communicate with spirit, with our thoughts and with our feelings, that is how the rest of the great universe communicates. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that there's not beautiful music and sound and language and but truth travels through through that light, which is purest thought. So that is how our intuition works. Where would we be without our intuition? It guides us all the time. And how much fear gets in the way, right? Fear does in, until you learn, which is a journey, until you learn what fear feels like vibrationally. Once you are able to go, uh oh, I feel kind of squished, right? I feel kind of squished. I'm in the pasta machine. <laughs> That's not gonna help me hear my intuition. And once you can feel that and breathe, then that intuitive message, it just it's on replay all the time. It's not like the angels stop and go, ah, she's not listening to me. Right. You know, I'm going to give up. That's not how they work. Right. That's not how our souls work. But do you think this whole 2020, uh, we're ascending to get back to just pure love? Ashley, you need to take time out of it. You know, you've got to take time out of it. So ascension from the 12 Archangels perspective is freedom. What is freedom? Freedom is where you recognize fear for what it is. You recognize fear as an illusion and you say, 
Thank you, fear, for all you're teaching me. And I'm going to choose love. And we fill up with that love and we fill up with that trust. The angels are going to teach a workshop on trust soon. It's a power. I just read it's a, that. It's yes. an energy. And so when you fill up with that energy of trust and love, then you, in every given moment, you ascend out of fear and what it does and how contracted it is and confusing it is. Ascension is something to experience moment by moment, like taking deep breaths. So will the masses of human beings reach ascension as a one human body in 2022? The answer is unlikely. It's probably not because when every soul is creating every ego, and so some of those egos have agreed, they've signed up, I want the really heavy-duty homework on schoolroom earth. I want to experience, and, and this is so Archangel Michael's teaching, I want to experience everything I don't want. <laughs> and that's fear. You know, suffering, uh, guilt, shame, poverty, illness. That's what fear is going to give the student of schoolroom earth. Until that student says, I don't really think I want that homework anymore. Mm -hmm. But every ego needs to have that choice, Ashley. Got it. But what we can do, those of us who have said, fear, I've got your number. (laughs) And, you know, if you you come knocking at my door, I'm going to give you some love. Because love transforms fear. That helps the one human body. That helps the human collective. That helps all of School Runner. It helps Archangel Gaia, who we have Archangel is our Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. So that's what we can do, is we can be grateful for our own ascending in every moment. My third guest is Dominic J. Zenden, all the way from the United Kingdom. I remember listening to him on the Joshua Live podcast, explaining how he reads auras and then had him contact me while I was thinking of how I wanted him to do my aura and share it on the podcast like Gary did on Joshua Live. The magic of our connection did not stop there. I knew when I met him on our Zoom call that day for the first of our two interviews, there was something more to him and felt a deeper connection than most guests. I wanted to put him on my top five list because he is now part of my life as a dear, dear friend. I know we must have had a previous life together or something because it's a knowing we both feel that way. It's just so cool when you can meet someone on Zoom from across the world and know you were meant to meet and will always be friends. He is also so much more fascinating and gifted than just reading auras, not that reading auras isn't incredible, but his gifts go so much deeper, which is why we had a part two on episode 99, the episode last week, right before this one. Here's part of our conversation from episode 91, part one. I know you will find Dominic's knowledge so interesting and authentic. He is real and is pure love. Enjoy. Why? 
we are connected and what interests me was first your aura readings and understanding that you can see the color, the auras around people and how it started when you were a very young child. Can you go yes. back so people understand when it started happening, when you saw your grandmother, your mother and all that <laughs> stuff? Yes, of course. You have to remember that as a child, I was, you know, my memory's about from five years old and I didn't think anything more about seeing colors. I just thought everyone saw colors around everything. So when my mom used to talk to me or shout at me, which is, you know, quite often, I used to see the, the reds and the blacks from the voice and hmm. used to sort of throw across the room at me and used to sort of spear their way towards me. And then my grandmother, I always saw her as the green lady because she smoked, constantly hmm. smoking. So she was green and nicotine in the actual aura turned her aura green it was you know one of those things and i come to understand what it meant as i got older but when i was younger it was just everyone had a color my Hmm. teachers had a color my siblings had colors my parents had colors even the football i kicked around the park had a color as it went through the air so i didn't ever think of the world as anything different to colors Huh. So when you started realizing there was meaning to the colors, how did you get to that place in your life? This is a really nice place to be because, of course, I was then in my teens. I was getting into that sort of interest area of what do I do for a living? Where do I go? How do I find my way in the world? And it was then that I discovered that not everyone saw colors because as a child, you don't really talk about it too much. As an adult, you start to talk about it. So I always used to look at people and figure them out through the colors. So a lot of the meanings were already ensconced inside of me by the time I was 20. So Mm. I knew what people were by the colors that they showed up because of the experience of meeting other people with the same colors, with the same depth, you know, the personalities. And I got to know about double orange in auras very quickly because, you know, it's a, it's a change in the personality halfway through that particular lifespan. And, and you can see the double orange. So I knew a lot of this before I even started to read photographs. But when I started to look at color photographs and realized that the auras were in the color photographs, that's when I started to really put meaning behind the, the different colors to figure out basically people's personalities, their, their traits, their, their likely paths, their likely personalities, their likely way of being, how they, how they would talk, how they were, how they would fit into a conversation sometimes. And you'd laugh, actually, because that was a big part of my life that I sort of put to one side while I was in the, I was in the air force for a few years then in the prison service. But while I was actually doing those things, I used the colors to profile prisoners. So I would look at the psychological profiles and figure out who is what, because, you know, I didn't believe what people told me. I just believe what the colors showed me. Right. But when I came out of the prison service and started to work as a psychic and started to write books and started to do TV shows and all the other things that you get a chance to do, I then started to read my friends' pictures on their phones because you think the year 2000, most people started having mobile phones. 
Right. And and we started getting little pictures on them, very small little pictures, but they were still pictures. Mm -hmm. And then they got bigger and bigger. And it was a great thing to do in the pub. We used to sit down, look at the friends' girlfriends or the friends' boyfriends and, and just figure out who they were. And I used to say to my friends, look, no, don't date that lady. Because huh. that, that, you know, she's not really for you. That's not really the personality for you. And we, it just started from there. And then it grew into writing profiles like you've got for your your daughters. And it just grew from there. And it's grown ever since then. So really over the last 21 years, it's grown beyond belief. You know, oh, I'm amazing. really, you know, it's so big. It, it's got out of hand sometimes with the amount of profiles I get. But it was that small beginnings of being able to read a photograph, seeing the aura being captured in that photograph, and know that that was a time capsule. Right. And what we were looking at was a little time capsule of a personality. I want you to explain the way you talk about time, because you've talked about it in so many different, you've talked about it in a, like a circle. Yes, I do. Yeah, time is another thing that, okay, the, the basic way that I think about time is it doesn't exist. Right. Okay. It's, yeah, I mean, we look at it as human beings as a linear line. We look at it, we start when we're born and we end when we, when we pass the spirit. I don't see that. I see it as a circle that we can actually come in at any point that we want to come in at. So, so all our past lives or our future lives, everything is all happening at once. So the only reason we have time is because we are using it to order our human existence. You know, I personally don't think that's necessary throughout the universe. So when we actually live a human life in a mortal body, we need to work our life by the clock because otherwise it'd be chaos. But <laughs> when we don't have time, it frees us to do whatever we want to do in an eternal way of doing it. So why would time be a factor in our eternity? It, it wouldn't. It would just be a revolving area where we could go and choose to be whatever we wanted to be, wherever we wanted to be it. But when you talk about you know your past, you can go back to your past and change the direction that you went if you made a mistake and you want to do something different sure you don't go back you don't go forward it's all happening at once right so you can you can choose to be in that if you want to be if your thoughts are aligned to that you can be back where you were so if you take out the time concepts because we talk about time too much in past present and future forget about the past and the present and the future just have the present And with that present, keep your thoughts very much about where you are, what you want to achieve in that moment where you are. And that can take you wherever you want to be. As a past life regressive therapist, I can take you back if you want to go, but you're still in that life. We're just accessing it because we're accessing the soul energy of that lifetime. If you want to go forward in our own way of thinking, we we can access the forward. And we've done this. We've taken people forward in their current life state to see where outcomes come in their life. So they're making a big decision and taking them into that decision to see what the outcome is at the end of that particular choice. So I think that everything is happening at once. And our soul, that intelligent plasma, is the actual holder of everything that we've ever done, everything we're ever going to do. Everything that's ever been is in our soul. So it's just that little bit of spark of energy that we need to be able to understand, to understand our concepts as deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. It's it's not enough just to be in the moment. 
you're in every moment. Right. Okay. When you talk about like deja vu or dreams and that kind of stuff, you know, cause my girls will say, mom, we'll get up and talk about our dreams. And now because I've really raised my level of understanding lucid dreams and, you know, all, you know, sleeping and there is somewhere you're going when you have these yes. dreams that is happening. And yes. I just loved how Allison explained it in one of your podcasts was you're not talking. It's like you're this energy and you're the, all the senses. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Your senses, your five senses are alive, which opens up your sixth sense. And that's the bit that people find hard to believe because in, in our life, we have 12 hours of wake, 12 hours of sleep. But in the 12 hours of sleep, it releases the soul from the body. And that soul can still interact. It doesn't have to have the eyes and the ears and the taste and the fingers and the touch. It can just interact. So you don't need to be anything other than that energy. That's how we have out-of-body experiences. That's how we do astral travel. It's the projection of thought through the soul. And that's the bit that if we can start to understand that, then we can start to understand our potential and how much we can actually benefit from having two lives. We can have the mortal life. Then we have our sleeping life, which is amazing. You double your actual experiences. Right. What do you dream? What is your experience when you sleep? I love to actually pre-program my dreams and actually share dreams. And in fact, I would like people, if they want to, to come on and have a, a joint dream. You know, we can have a, a shared dream so we can agree to meet somewhere, anywhere in the world and go and experience something together. I like to do that. I like to actually program to go across the universe and go and see different planets, different cultures, different alien civilizations. And I like to be able to go in there and interact on those levels, because if we can channel, which I know we do, and that channel comes from anywhere across this whole wide cosmos, then why can't we channel during sleep? Mm-hmm. And we can just go off and talk to anything or anybody that is actually there. And we can have these amazing connections into alien life that is really life. It's not right. alien. It's all life all together. And, and that can be an amazing experience when you go off on your journey and your procession. And hopefully what I've tried to do over my last sort of 20 years is pick up dreams where I leave off. Ah. So I don't want a dream one night. I want it a saga. I want to be able to go in and then wake up and go back in same place and start and keep going. So it becomes more more joined rather than lots of little fragmented dreams. I like to have one long dream. I try and do that as much as I possibly can. And so you're setting an intention before you go to bed? Are you writing down Absolutely. what you want to do? Yeah. Yeah, intent is very important. So what you're doing is you're saying to yourself and your thoughts, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be active with. This is what I want to go and experience this time. Or I want to pick up from this location, from that location, from this conversation, from that particular segment. I think that if we have that intent to do that, we can do it. But we have to be able to be intentful. Right. There's no point in going there going, I hope I have it. It's, right. I'm going to have this. You know, this is going to happen for me. It's going to work in my favor. I'm going to go and experience this. And actually, I think this is where new knowledge comes from. Mm-hmm. I talk a lot about new knowledge. If you listen to my podcasts, yes. Oh, yeah. You'll, you'll understand new knowledge because we get stuck. 
in that very well-trodden path of old knowledge. Mm-hmm. It just stays there. We we seem to, you know, we haven't come out of the the old knowledge from the the 1900s, where people used to have seances and all those things. People still do that right now today in the 21st century, and it's crazy that we do that. So the new knowledge has to be what overtakes some of this old thinking of where other people have been previously. I wouldn't use objects. I'd use smells and scents okay. to put you into meditations because they are fantastic at being able to recall anything. I use a visualization meditation that I use eucalyptus. Yes. And I use the visualization and I use eucalyptus. And that transfers me straight into the meditation without even a single moment, hmm. just the smell. And if you think back to when you were a child, I'm sure that your mother did cooking or your father cut the grass. And whenever you smell certain smells, it transfers you straight back into that state of mind. Mm-hmm. So, so use smells, use scents, and they will take you back a lot quicker than objects or colors. Yes. What was the, when you get into water bath and you put orange, an orange drop? Oh, yes. Yeah. That's, that's a really useful tip because the aura has what I look at as lots of stickies all over it. Um, if you're around people that have negative energy or if you're on public transport or you're with people, you will pick up their energy. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Especially yourself, even your girls as well. They'll pick up the energy. So when you get into a, have a nice warm bath and put a couple of drops of orange oil, you just eat the essence of orange into the bath water. And what it does, it actually cleanses the outside of the aura. So any energy that's actually you know close to you, that's stuck on from other people, it will just take it off. It will allow you to actually feel a lot lighter within your soul mm. and within your whole body. And it's so much nicer because all the energy, what you have to understand with the aura is that the aura on the outside, the orange seal if you like the hard shell of the aura that can have little gaps in or little leaks in and so energy from the middle aura and from the inner aura can come out you bathe you put your whole self in the bath use the orange oil and it will seal these little gaps in your aura so your energy doesn't leak out and people Uh miss that people tend to shower these days they tend to you know very quick you know you know bathing's become a thing of you know what people do if they've got leisure time isn't it yeah exactly it's it's not something we do every day because hang on i've only got five minutes i'm gonna have a quick shower but get in the bath at least once a week with some orange drops and you'll find it so much yeah your, your energy will be so much greater because it'll hold the energy in for you when you say you see people that are smokers, drug, you yes. know, do drugs or drink, they have cracks, they have holes in their outer aura. Yeah, yeah, I've seen some quite um, difficult auras over the years with people. Um, the the thing that you have to understand is that everything that we are connects to something. So the air that we breathe. So if we live in New York City, the air that we breathe is going to be different to what if we live on the Californian coast. It's a totally different energy signature with people. So I'm always very keen to share with people what you take into your body really does show out in your aura. And mm. I've looked at sportsmen that use steroids to get strong muscle tone, and it just takes away all the all the structure around the aura and the inside, and it's not nice. And if mm. people could see what they were doing, I don't right. think they would do it so much. You know, they wouldn't eat meat. They certainly oh, yeah. wouldn't drink. They wouldn't drink alcohol. Right. You know, they, they certainly wouldn't smoke. 
and and drugs and anything that takes away your own senses, they wouldn't want to do that because they would see what it was like. But because they go around with this, you know, this sort of sack over their heads and don't really look at energy, they don't really care because they can't see it. Right. So they have no real understanding what they're doing. So what about why meat? Meat is um, when you digest the, the flesh of an animal, what you're doing is you're taking in all the anxiety and all the all the difficulty and all the fear that animal would have had during its lifetime. And it just brings the aura right down. It really puts a heavy, very dark, very difficult signature on it. I don't think we're meant to eat meat. I think we're meant to be vegetarian, you know, at, at worst. I think we're meant to be vegetarian and vegan, definitely, more than anything, because it affects the body. When we talk about heaviness, the energy becomes very weighed down. Mm-hmm. So what it is, is, you know, when you wake up in the morning, it's a struggle to get out of bed. Yeah. You know, that sort of feeling. That's what happens when your body is trying to digest this really heavy protein. Whereas if you're very light on your protein and you tend to eat plant based um, food, your, your energy is a lot lighter. It's a lot easier to digest and your body becomes a lot easier to motivate. So the energy levels go through the roof and mm-hmm. it's much nicer. Oh, oh, I love that. That is so fascinating to me because when you say people have a brown bag over their head, <laughs> you know, they don't there. And I can walk or I can go to the grocery store and I almost I, I have that where I can read. I can see I can see their Not that I'm seeing their auras, but I can really pick up on this energy now because yes. I've been I have such an awareness of that. Yes. Do you, do you not see them? They sort of sleepwalk down the aisles. Yes. And they sort of putting in the things into their baskets or their trolleys almost unconsciously. Right. Almost like they've been dragged into putting that, you know, that item into their trolley. And they know that they shouldn't, but they just can't help it. Oh, let's have another bag of sugar. Let's have another, you know, joint of meat. You know, let's put it all in. And they get into this sort of habit, and it is. I, I look at them like they're sleepwalking down the aisles. Mm-hmm. That's why they can't be bothered with anyone. They're always so angry when you get in their way because they just want to be determined to get to that next point. Totally. Yeah, grabbing another bar of chocolate or a, or something <laughs> else that's bad for them. Right. So you're completely vegan. You you I don't am. eat. Yeah, we, we've been that way for, for as long as I can remember. Now, I don't, I don't eat meat. Don't smoke. Don't have alcohol with anything. Um, just purely live a really, you know, really full life, but have it without the artificial additives or the uh, the need for any of that stuff. The fourth person I picked is the one and only Dr. Joe Vitale. I picked him because I have followed him since I watched him on the movie The Secret back in 2006 and have learned so much from him and have read many of his 80-something books that really made an impact in my life. One of his teachings, the Ho'oponopono, has made a big impact on my life. I teach it to my clients, and the healing effects have been so magical. When he said yes, I remember thinking, wow, if I didn't have this podcast, how many other opportunities would I have to get an hour conversation with that man? That was a magic moment in this journey for sure, which is why he is one of my top five for this 100th episode. I had so much fun with Dr. Joe in this interview. It was like he had been my friend for years. Here is a little bit of this magical conversation with the one and only Dr. Joe Vitale. Enjoy. Let's go into your story of going out to homelessness and all the things and how you created this 
you know, this one moment where you realize it wasn't one moment, but can we go back a little bit? Because I still want to go deeper into things. So kind of go where you want to go. Well, I uh, am glad to share any of it. I used to not talk about being homeless because it was too freaking embarrassing. (laughs) It was a traumatic experience, not something I was uh, proud of. But I've learned that when people realize that I was homeless and that I was in poverty for 10 years and that they see where I'm at now, they think, well, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. And that's why I openly share it. It's just to give people inspiration, to give them hope, to give them motivation. Back then, it was in the 1970s when I was homeless. So there's no internet. Coaching isn't anything but Little League coaching and football coaches. We don't have it as personal development coaches. At least I wasn't aware of it. But I lived in the Dallas Public Library, literally. It had air conditioning. It had a bathroom. It had water. And it had what I loved and still love. You can look behind me and see it. Books. Mm-hmm. And I would devour those books. And they kept pointing to inside of me, inside of me. I'm creating my reality because of what I'm thinking and doing. And boy, when you're homeless or even when you're in poverty, those kind of statements are hard to take mm-hmm. because you keep thinking, what's wrong with me? If I actually did this, why would I do this? Right. And as you pointed out, there were several turning points, but there was one in particular. And that's when I, it dawned on me that I was modeling my life unconsciously on the lives of authors I admired, but had been self-destructive authors. Jack London, who wrote Call of the Wild and uh, White Fang, and a very famous American classic of literature, uh, he was dead by the age of 40. He had an adventurous life. He was alcoholic. He was suicidal. And he did take his own life. Died by his own hand. And I was unconsciously following him and Ernest Hemingway, who also died by his own hand after an adventurous life. And I was making life harder than what it needed to be. I was self-creating the drama, the trauma, the ups and, well, very few ups, but most of the downs that I was going through. Now, of course, I would deny that if you flew back in time and came up to me on the streets in 1976 or so, I'd deny it. I might even hit you. It's like, this is insulting. This is not what I'd be doing. I want to be an author. That's my dream. But this is my point. Every one of us is being driven by unconscious beliefs. And until we look at those unconscious, subconscious beliefs and clear them up, We're going to be self-sabotaging ourselves. We're going to be going through the same experiences. We're going to go in circles in many ways. Very often, I will ask people, do you seem to notice that you have the same problem over and over again? Whether it's a relationship problem, it's a money problem, it's a health problem. It's unique to each person. But we all know people who say they always have a relationship problem. Mm -hmm. Why is that? And part of it is their unconscious, subconscious beliefs. And once we take care of those, then we can move forward, have, do, and be what we dreamed about. So I had to do that, but I took a long time to do it because I was doing it by myself. No coach, no mentor, no internet, no free programs, no wonderful people like you doing these shows. And so it was a lonely path. But you knew you wanted to be an author? You knew that? When you're in that library, because that's your like, you love to be surrounded by books and read. Well, books were always my best friends. They were my safety. They were uh, reliable. 
they were always entertaining. They were there whenever I wanted them. I didn't have to worry about books. They would, they would be there, whether it was through the library or eventually when I can afford books, I'd just go and buy my own library and build it up, which is what I have today. But I also know, because I know why you're asking that question, that when I was a teenager, I was not clear about what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure of my passion because I wanted to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a magician, oh. a stage magician. I loved Harry Houdini, and I had the stage name of Harry Excello. And I was going to do death-defying feats. I even invented magic tricks. This is all when I'm like 13, 14, 15 years oh, old. funny. Huh. I also wanted to be the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. I was very much into boxing. I knew who the greatest fighters were. I collected their old footage, the black and white films that were on 8mm, I guess they were called back then. Mm-hmm. And I would study them. And, of course, today I've met Mike Tyson and George Foreman, and, and these guys would have killed me. <laughs> there was no way I would have so lasted funny. even in huh. their shadow. But as a kid, I explored it. I also wanted to be a baseball player. I thought of Babe Ruth, and I wanted to be a detective. I think I saw too many old TV shows about detectives, and I thought, I want to be like that. It looks like it's an adventurous thing. So as I was deliberating on what do I want to do, and this is as a kid, I did note that books were the common denominator in everything. Hmm. I read about boxers in books. I read about magic in books. I read about baseball in books. I read about attorneys in books. I was reading books and I thought, well, maybe I should be an author. And if I wrote novels, I can be those characters in different books. So I decided early on that I would be a writer. And of course, it took about three decades to actually pull it off. But anybody, I mean, you've interviewed enough people to know there is no such thing as an overnight success unless you define overnight as about 15 to 30 years. Right. But you keep listening, right? Like when you write these books, that's the thing with your, with reading your books. It's like listening to these stories that you write and you're, I feel like you're using what comes to you in this book is what Mm -hmm. you've learned and you put your, all these lessons that you learned into it. That's what I love about it. Cause I can relate. It's so relatable and it's so, it's like, I can absorb it, but you're listening to that, that talk about your intuition. Cause that's part, that's a big part of all of the journey of those 80 books that you've written. Yeah. I'm a guy who follows inspiration, but I don't want to make it sound like I did that from day one because I didn't, I tried to outsmart life. Like so many people, I wanted to think my way through it. One of the reasons I was reading books is to find a formula, any formula that would tell me how to get from broke to rich and famous or to get published or whatever the goal happened to be. And I kept trying that. And one of my big insights was as long as I kept trying to outthink life, Mm -hmm. I was struggling. When I started to give in to more of that silent, soft whisperings of the soul, which is what I would call intuition, things got a little easier. Now, I didn't totally trust it at first, but I did realize that what I was trying to do by using my mind and my intellect or my left brain, my logical side, if you will, to steer my way through life, when I realized that wasn't working, I thought, well, maybe I should try the other side. Maybe I should try the the right brain. Maybe I should be a little bit more flexible and fluid and look for the signs and symbols in life, trust my intuition, and act on it. 
And I began to do it, but I did it reluctantly because I kept thinking, boy, my intuition doesn't seem to be real clear. It'll say turn left, but it won't tell me why to turn left. It'll say, go pick up this particular book and I'll go, why? And, you know, left brain, the logical side looking for the answer. And so at first I fumbled my way through following intuition because a part of me was suspicious of it. I was looking for a complete answer and intuition was giving me more like breadcrumbs. It was more like, pick this up and walk a little bit more and we'll give you another breadcrumb, then walk a little bit more and we'll give you another little sign or symbol. But what I found was that is the easier way to life. And that is the way that opened up a path to riches for me. I'm thinking of Steve Jobs who said, you can't connect the dots looking forward, but you can connect the dots looking backwards. Yes. What that means to me is when I look forward and I want to do any number of things, I don't know how to get there. Mm -hmm. I can guess. I can fabricate some sort of map. I can create a strategy or get a bunch of people together and say, let's do this, then do this, then do this. But as soon as we implement it, life rushes in with its own plan. What usually happens is that you take a step. And then something is revealed to you, usually through your intuition, you take that step and then something else is revealed to you. And by the time you achieve your goal, it's a goal you never could have mapped out the way to it. Right. No, I know. It's never about the how. And people focus so much on that. And then the fear comes and then it stops them. And I think for me, not really having any direction and clarity in my life in my 20s, kind of, you know, college, oh, that was a waste of time, you know, all the things that I do and like not having the clarity. And that's, I think, why really I, as a mom and having kids older, understanding the clarity having clarity in life and talking about what are interests in you and, you know, at a young age and trying to get to that, you know, little light bulbs that come off. Oh yeah. Follow it. Let's go a little bit. And once they realize they can get through that and get the breadcrumb and then pass that fear. Oh, that fear, the mountain. I love your example of the mountain versus the escalator. I did the mountain. Now I'll show you the escalator, (laughs) (laughs) but that's what I want them to get. Like we're human and we're going to climb the mountains and we're going to go to the valleys. Right. But to understand these little tools that, you know, that I've learned and you've learned your whole life that it was embedded in you now, you know, so now you can ride the escalator. Right. And follow and help people get there. Absolutely. Yeah. A while back, I started announcing, you know, there, there's two ways through life. There's the rocky, hard road up the mountain. Most of the time you're paving, you're clearing, you're carving out your own path. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a little bit bloodier. It's a little bit more dramatic. It's a little bit more exhausting. But I found on the other side of the mountain, there was an escalator. <laughs> and you can take the escalator by getting on it and kind of going with the flow of life. It's all going in the same direction. It's all going up. Most of us are reluctant to go with it. We're kicking and screaming because we don't know where it's going and we think it should go somewhere else. But if we get on the escalator and go for the ride, things are a little smoother. Right. I also remind people, you don't have to get on the escalator. A lot of people like drama. Yeah. It's okay. As long as you know you're choosing that. If you would like to have that as entertainment, if you will, you know, it keeps your days interesting and unpredictable, then go on up the rocky side of the mountain. But you do have a choice. Yes, you you do. Surrender to an easier way. Yes, free will. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You have free will. You can choose it. That's actually brilliant, Ashley, because my view is 
we do have free will, but it's actually better said as free won't Mm -hmm. because we're all given this path. We're all given the intuition. We're all given the magic, if you will, but we have the ability to say no. That's really free will. We can say yes to what's being presented to us, or we can go, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it on my own. That's free will. That's actually okay as long as we realize we're making that choice. Right. So, so for me, though, you know, at age 67, I have found it is far happier, healthier, easier, more beneficial to all concerned if I say yes. Going back to your dad, there was a story that I, when we were, you were talking about wealth and how you were realizing you were coming to a block and that you realized that your dad, you didn't want to be more successful than him. Yeah. You had an aha light bulb moment. You go go there and how people have that. I mean, I can, I bet a lot of people have those blocks. Well, we all have blocks of one shape or another. Right. And they're all erasable. They're all deletable. We may have to do a little bit of work to find them. We may even have to get a coach or mentor or counselor sometimes to guide us. But it's all removable. And the story you're referring to, I'll just flesh it out a little bit for somebody who may not know it, is way back in the early days of the internet. So we're talking about the 1990s. And I was lucky enough to be one of the internet pioneers. I wrote one of the first books on internet marketing, which I think came out in 95. And I was known as an internet marketer and internet copywriter long before The Secret was ever on anybody's radar. And even though I was a spiritual person and trusting intuition, I didn't talk about it because I was very much into business and entrepreneurship and and doing the internet kind of thing. So I was making more and more money, more than I had ever had before. But I hit a ceiling. And I thought, this is strange. How is there a ceiling on the internet? There isn't anybody policing the internet. There isn't anybody saying, oh, you can't make more than that. Stop. Stop your selling now. (laughs) And so I thought, well, it must be me, which is the story kind of illustrates a way of doing the self-reflection. I looked at the reality. It's like, okay, I'm doing well. I am making more money. I am not homeless now. I am not in poverty now. In fact, I'm getting ready to buy a house, you know, so things are looking up. But why does it feel like I can't go higher than this income? Because if there's billions of people on the planet, more and more of them are going on the internet, how come I can't make unlimited amounts of money? So as I questioned, and then I looked within myself, I had, this came from intuition. This, Yeah, because I wasn't talking to anybody. This this bubbled up in self-awareness, self-reflection, and intuition letting me know I was afraid that my father would be embarrassed if I made more money than him. I had self-regulated my own income. I created a wealth set point, not intentionally. This is important to know because I keep saying these beliefs are in our subconscious and unconscious mind. So we sit there going, I didn't try to do that. I didn't try to be homeless. I didn't try to be in poverty. I didn't try to make less money than my father. My subconscious mind did. Yes. When I realized it and I went, wait a minute, let me now question that belief. Is it true that my father would be upset or embarrassed if I made more money than him? I almost laughed out loud because I thought, no, he'd be proud. 
Yes. He might huh. be curious, <laughs> might be confused, but <laughs> he would be proud. And ultimately that belief, like so many beliefs, when you question it, disappeared. And I made more money. And my father was impressed. And he did tell me how much, how, you know, he died a little while ago, so I'm still tender there. Right. He told me how proud he was. Oh, I love that. If that yeah. You did have a tough 2020. He passed away this last, right? Yes. Uh, the, yeah, the last year and a half. I, You probably know through your interview with Lisa, but on my side of things, they were pretty much the worst year and a half or two years of almost my entire life. Because we're dealing with, uh, first of all, I went through divorce. And that should have been easy because I was offering everything. I just was going to walk away. But instead, instead, it turned out to be a persecution of my life and business. And during that time, my father did pass. During that time, a family member attempted suicide. During that time, my best friend passed. During that time, Lisa, my new partner, developed neuro-Lyme disease and confused both of us, ended up pretty much on her deathbed. And I was caretaking for her while going through grieving, while going through the struggle with a family member, while going through divorce. And then, of course, all of us got to share in COVID, you know, (laughs) which in my case, my biggest income has always come from traveling and being on stages. Wiped out. Totally wiped out. Everything's been done like much like this. It's done over Zoom. It's done virtually. So, yes, all of that period came about. Now, there's a lesson here. And when I say this whole story, I want people to realize something. And this is really important, Ashley. Because so many people get into the law of attraction, they get into the movie or following the movie The Secret, they get very excited and well, they should be. But the problem is, is when they expect life to be problem free, when they think it's never going to rain again, there's never going to be a hassle or a bad day or a bad moment or a disappointment or a breakup or an illness or a death in the family. As soon as they start thinking that, they're going into unrealistic magical thinking Mm -hmm. because life is set up that there will be challenges right or it'd be boring right for everybody (laughs) or it could be shared like a pandemic and what we need to realize is that they will pass as long as we can maintain the faith maintain our strength maintain our relationships we can get through it all and one day at a time one day. Thank you. I'm impressed with you have followed my work and read my material. And not only that, remembered it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just, I told you, I, you, you um, speak to me, you know, there's certain people that speak to you that I remember that it just sinks into me, but it is one day at a time. And finally, rounding up the top five guests of my first 100 episodes all the way from Paris, Paris, France is Marie Diamond. If you follow the law of attraction and the secret, her name will be one that rings a bell. Asking Marie to be a guest on my podcast was a dream come true to say the least. I remember being so excited to actually talk to her on zoom that day. It was a magical moment for me for sure on this podcast. If you haven't listened to her episode, go back to episode 45 and hear her story and how I uncovered her magic. Here is a portion of our conversation that I enjoyed so much and has made an impact in my life for sure. Here you go. Enjoy. 
everything happens for a reason. You connect with somebody for, you know, we always are drawing the right person at the right time in our life and the message that's supposed to be out. And for people to listen to this amazing woman that has so many beautiful gifts. But what I want to talk about before we get into all her stuff is where she began to see her magic and where it started. And you're going to go these, you guys are going to go crazy when you hear this story. So this is amazing. I'm so grateful to have to share your beautiful magic with everybody. So where you can start wherever you want. Thank you so much, Ashley. Yes. Yeah, so I actually am born in a beautiful city called Bruges, called the Venice of the North in Belgium. And so it's actually a city with many bridges. And I always feel like that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm trying to bridge time and space and people with each other. So it's kind of my essence, right? And so, yeah, I just grew up in a very traditional Catholic family. But my parents actually were aware that, you know, something special would happen. There were some clairvoyants had told them that I would bring something special to the world. And, you know, from my you know, Burton, many interesting things happened, actually. And they were aware that I could see energy. So a Catholic clairvoyant priest had told them that I would be able to see energy and that they had to uh, listen to me, but they had to treat me as a normal child. It was a great blessing, to be honest. So it was not like she's special or she's from the wrong side. It was like, okay, she says things like this person is going to die or something is going on with this person or you know whatever I would say from my clairvoyance. They were always like, okay, we just listen. This is given, this is a gift from God. Mm -hmm. So what is a blessing really for me? And so when I was 15, that was like something really major happened in my life is that I was run over by a truck and they declared me dead. So the fabric was already over my body. When my mom arrived to the accident place, and so she starts screaming, you have to revive her. And so they did. They tried again because I was 15 to revive me. And I was in the ambulance when I saw myself laying down with this amazing, gorgeous ambulance man, <laughs> you know, uh, trying to resuscitate me. And right. I was like, wow, he's so cute. That was kind of the, the message that came oh, funny. <laughs> and so I saw my mom there. I'm like, what is she doing here? Because she was not with me when the accident happened. And so anyhow, I actually, after that, went to all dimensions. And I came in front of like a board of beings of light. I cannot describe it differently than this. And they gave me the message, you have to go back because you're here to enlighten more than 500 million people. Wow. And so I came out of coma a few days later. So apparently they got me back to life. And I remember that message and I was like, what does that mean? Right? right. I didn't know the word enlightenment. I mean, that's not a word the Catholic church will use so much. And so I was like, okay, it's making a difference. So I was really like right away looking at community service Huh. in youth movement, trying to work in the the organization for you know people that were long-term sick and handicapped and, you know, helping in the church. I was trying to like figure out how can I be of service, right? right. Huh. And, but after a while I was thinking, you know, I need to think bigger, you know, it's just my community. I won't get to 500 million people. So I thought like, well, if I become a diplomat, if I become working for the United Nations or the European government, so in order to do that in my country, you, you better know your languages. That's the first thing, right? right. So I really, you know, I speak four languages, yeah. but also I became a, a lawyer 
because if I thought if I become an international lawyer, I could, you know, be of service somehow, you know, on the political, diplomatic level. And so that's what I did for five years. I did exactly that work. And but after five years, I thought like, yeah, it's not really transforming and enlightening the world, you know, right. making laws, you know, going and representing the government. It was not, you know, and so I was already coaching people. People already started coming to me when I was like 26, 27, like, oh, can you help me? And, and there were a lot of politicians that were asking yeah. me, like, you always get things manifest. You always are so joyful. You always have this energy. How do you do this? Right. Oh, so I had like private clients coming to me. And literally at 31, I set up a consulting company and started speaking and, you know, coaching and mentoring people and started speaking public about enlightenment. Because meanwhile, at 26, I had an enlightenment experience that was really much deeper than what I had at 15. So I was teaching people meditation, law of attraction, energy work, feng shui, because meanwhile, I had really studied since my 15, quite intensely, the energy of the environment. Mm -hmm. And so before I knew it, I had thousands of students following my classes. And, but, you know, that was still not big enough. You know, I was still in Belgium, you know, it's only 10 million people, right? And so at 38, I decided to jump to America and to immigrate there. And that's how I got in the secret. And yeah, I want to go back there. Yeah, that's I want. I need to go back. So we're up to thirty eight now, but we need to go back because you had a spiritual mentor, like when you were seven. Like you had somebody that taught you meditation and all that. And I also want you to explain how, when you were living, growing up in that house, how finally when you moved from your bedroom to your brothers that had moved out, how your life changed, and then you started realizing that your environment and how he taught you that that is the the missing link of law of attraction. That is the the 33.3% part that no one got. And then you finally got it because you experienced that bedroom and all the magic that came from being in a different room, right? Yeah, correct. So, you know, I had a spiritual mentor when I was seven. I mean, it's probably for some people quite interesting, but it, it is what we call an immortal. So it was like somebody just appeared in my home and mm-hmm. some people would call it an angel. But for me, it was like a, a living human being that kind of taught me to work with colors, to talk me how to draw and visualize my future. And so he taught me my first meditations. And when I was 15, after that accident, I just described, I was quite upset because I had already been praying and, you know, being a, a really good girl. I always say I was probably one of the best teenage girls a mom and a dad could have. Oh, you know, I was very dedicated and doing all the right things, right? And still I had all these things happening. And so my mentor, I asked him, I said, okay, I've been praying, I've been meditating, I've been doing visualization. And I did not sign up for that accident. You know, mm-hmm. I just did not manifest this. And he said, yes, you did not, but your home, your place where you live manifested it. And so this is what we call feng shui. And I was like, what's that, right? And so he was like, you know, the energy of your home is really affecting your mindset. It's affecting even your destiny. And the room I was in, I really hated the room. It was, a, you know, like in the old times, people would get the, the clothes from your sister. Well, I got the room from my sister, uh-huh. you know, so that was like, she was much older. So she moved out. And that was my room. And there was still her decoration and her, you know, people were not in interior design so much at that time, right? right? 
So I was just living in that space and I had nightmares. And I mean, my experience, I was very dedicated and a, a good girl, but I was alone. I was seen as a geek. You know, I was into mathematics and religion. That was my two favorite things huh. in life. So I was bullied. I was beaten up sometimes at school by girls. Wow. And so I was like, okay, this is not an interesting life at 15. I have to be honest. Right. Right. And right. so he suggested I would move to another place. And I chose the room for my brothers that already moved out and they always had fun in that room. There was always mm-hmm. a lot of joy. You know, they had parties going on there. They had friends over. So I asked my parents, can I have this room and can I decorate it? So I painted it in a warm colors that I was given that would be good for me. And I started literally drawing, you know, my future, right? You know, romance and, you know, girlfriends. And within two weeks, you know, literally something shifted. It's like mm-hmm. I the bullies stopped bullying me. That was like from one day to another. It was wow. very interesting. They became very friendly. And ultimately, mm-hmm. actually, some of them became friends. I got my first love. And I was actually the hot guy of town. It was so <laughs> In me, the geek, you know, <laughs> with like big glasses on. I mean, it was quite an interesting combination, okay. but it was really funny. And so I was like, my God, this is working, right? Mm-hmm. And so as my life turned around, I was like, these are principles I'm going to stack with. And my teacher said, I wanted to have more information. Give me a book, you know, whatever, right? He said, there's no books in your language on this, huh. you know? And that was true. And it's only when I was 31, I got this little message from my teacher, like, you know, the first books in your language are available, you know? Huh. And so that's when I started studying really intensely and immediately went to look for masters, grandmasters, and start really studying with them to really understand the feng shui part. Because what I got was that there was this missing link. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I was thinking positive. I was feeling positive. I was trying to do the right deeds, right? right? I was meditating. I was praying to God. And so what I learned from my grandmaster that there are three parts to the law of attraction, three parts in manifestation. And the first part is a spiritual part is like your connection with source or God, the universe or angels or whatever you call it, right? right? Connecting with that and manifesting your purpose in life. Yeah, Mm -hmm. your karma, your destiny, whatever that's called. Everybody has talents, you know. You all receive something that you can work with and manifest something good in the world. So that's your spiritual luck. And that is about 33.3%. And then the second part is literally your human design. You know, what the self-growth, the self-development world is talking about. And in The Secret, for example, in the movie, that's kind of what I focus most of it. Right. Saying like, if you have the right mindset, if you have the right feelings of gratitude and compassion, if you're taking action, right? And good actions, right? Then you will actually manifest your dreams. But that is according to the Chinese, only 33.3% also. So it is not 100%. But some of the teachers say, this is the only thing you need to do. But it's not. There is a third part that the feng shui masters kind of figured out, you know, 4,000 years ago, there is movement and energy in the place where you live, sleep and work. Mm-hmm. And so that area is the first foundation of how you manifest something, 
right? Because, and everybody knows that, you know, when you go to certain places, you're like, oh, I don't like it, you know? And you're like, try to get away from it. And then there are other areas you're like, ah, this is so amazing, relaxing, I want to stay here, right? right? So feng shui is literally wind and water. It means there's a flow of energy, and so feng shui masters found about 4,000 years ago that the location where the house is in the landscape, mm-hmm. but then also how the house looks inside and where do you sleep, where is the front door, where do you work, has all kind of a flow of energy. And you can direct that energy with colors, with positioning yourself, with images, where the sun is coming in. It's like acupuncture in a way, right? Acupuncture mm-hmm. is finding where the body energy is and Tai Chi and Qigong is kind of moving the energy around you. But Feng Shui is moving the energy in your house. Right. And so that is definitely the missing link according to them. And so when I went to California to work there and started bringing this information forward, and I was working with some of the top leaders in the self-development world, and they were all like kind of hitting ceilings, like their own work was going very well. But then personally, they were still having situations going on that they couldn't change till I came in and redirected the chi, the energy in their home. And suddenly they broke through to the ceilings, you know, and they went to a new level in the relationships financially. And that is where I felt like, oh, wow, these top people in the self-development are missing this. So it's called a missing link. I also want to go back to when you do the vision board and how you manifested so what really got me was the sticky note that you put on the vision board about you're going to be in a movie and you get the Oscar. Yeah. Will you explain? Because I am all about vision boards. I have like in my group that I'm teaching at, right this week, we're doing vision boards. So oh, yeah. we, my kids and I do them every year. And I love going back that after the, you know, the years passed and going, look, you did that, you did that. And we love doing it. It's kind of like that therapeutic, you know, doing, but I want you to describe that because it is like total magic and how it's so powerful, those vision boards. It is. So when I arrived in, uh, in America, in my first house, I literally said, okay, I'm going to make a vision board because I always had vision walls. Like I put all kinds of things on walls, things I wanted yeah. to manifest, place where I want to go to. But I thought like I make it like on paper, really like. And so I put on it and I work with post-it notes because I thought like, oh, I have so much to manifest. When I put post-it notes, I can take it off if I want to. And at that time, you only had yellow post-it notes. There were no other colors, by the way. <laughs> and so I put on that yellow post-it note, I'm going to be in a movie seen by millions of people that will transform the world. That was my specific quote. And I put it on my vision board in my success direction. I'm sure we're going to go into that in a while. And so I would read it every day. Yeah, because I was living in San Francisco and I thought like, you know, I'm not so far from Hollywood. I mean, I'm closer to Hollywood than when I live in Belgium. So you never know. And I did not know what that would mean if I was producing it, acting it. I never really thought it would be myself in a right. document. I huh. never got the point, you know? Okay. I always thought it would be like something, right? And then I bought myself a fake Oscar because I thought like, you know, movies that are successful, they get an Oscar. Right. And so I put on it Marie Diamond. 
And I put like, oh, I need like 2005. I was like, I needed three years. Okay. Uh, I was 2002 at that time. And so I put it in my success direction. And I'm somebody that really always expresses. It's not just like the vision board. I go to my vision board every day. Mm-hmm. I look at it. I read it. I kind of, whatever image I put up, I kind of wave at them, you know, like right. the little Oscar. I was like, oh, you know, hey, Oscar, you know. And so literally within a few uh, weeks, magic started happening. I started meeting Marcy Shymov, who ultimately opened the doors to me as my student as and, and as friend to people like John Gray and Jack Canfield, right? because she was, you know, best, an international best-selling author with millions of books sold. And so she was kind of, after helping her with my work and my mentoring, she was like telling others, you know, you need to work with her, right? right? And so I never heard of these people, to be honest. I mean, I oh. came from Belgium, had no idea who is this John Gray or Jack Canfield. For me, there was like, okay. They wrote, wrote some right. books, you know. <laughs> so, and within a month, I had my first Oscar-winning client. And I always, I still wonder how he even got my name. It was like very interesting. And so far, we have more than 20 Oscar-winning clients that mm-hmm. are in my clientele. And so it was quite interesting. It's like I had to really tell the universe, this is what I really want. Well, there it is my 100th episode with my top five guests. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did creating it. What an honor it has been to share this magical journey with all of you. I look back at those 100 weeks of all the people who have listened and couldn't feel more grateful. I can't thank you enough for listening and sharing and sending me messages. I'm excited to continue on this journey and see where it will take me and whose lives I will have the honor to touch. My hope for all of you after listening today is that you see the magic that occurs when you listen to that small voice inside your head and take action and push past your fears, that you also see the magic and consistency. Also saying yes, way more, say a yes more in life and do things that scare you because being present and live in the moment, realize you are pure love and light and are here to grow and expand. This life is a true gift, and we only get to live in this body for such a short time. Do something to make a difference or make an impact. Like Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. It's never too late to do something. Just go do it. Please remember to subscribe and review to this podcast so my next 100 episodes can bring you even more magical guests. Also, you can always go to my website and get on the wait list for my Magic Path courses for adults and sign your kids up for Raising Confidence. There is no better time than now because really, that is all we have, just this present moment. Thank you again and know I am sending you so much love and gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, always look for the magic.